smiles. Smiles, everyone. Welcome to Fantasy Island. No. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Corgi Town, USA. I'm Candy. In my lap is Chuckles. And hi, I'm Catherine. Going completely off the rails. Going completely off the rails. <laughs> and at my feet is Digby. Digby the Doof. Digby the Doof. We also have Mortimer Barnabas and Booger. And if you are new here, hi, welcome. If you've been following us, thank you for being here in our fifth season. I'm so excited to keep doing this. It's because of you. We're able to do this. When you continue to listen, you continue to watch. We need the views. We need the shares. We need the likes. We need the subscriptions. Please tell your friends. Uh, we're a podcast for pets and their people. We uh, recently lost a member of the Corgi Committee. That was my very own hammer who had degenerative myelopathy. He, uh, about two years, we kind of managed and uh, literally rolled with it. And it was time to say goodbye. So yes. we took a little bit longer break than normal between season four and five, partly because of the holidays and mostly to take some time to heal our grieving hearts. Yes. So thank you for being part of the journey. Uh, but we are ready. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. We're ready to tackle some more subjects and see if we can aggravate anybody or, you know. That's my job. That's your job. Yeah. See if we can aggravate anybody or uh, start making some waves. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but typically, most of our content has to do with uh, corgis, corgi lifestyle, corgi art. Uh, we have a creator series where we talk about different kinds of art mediums and how it relates to corgis and pets. And then we also talk about grooming, training, rescue stories, uh, what's what is involved in rescue, how you can help be part of the change, and also how to purchase a corgi from a mindful uh, breeder who does actually do it for the dogs and not for the money and why poor breeding practices are ill-advised and ill-advised to purchase from poor breeding practices and if you want to rescue how you can do that so we are here to serve you corgi community also just dog parent lifestyle how can we help how can we bring you relevant information on health grooming training all of that so get, we're going to get esoteric get today aren't we we are we're going to get up to snuff so today I'm, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. um, Rich and I are in a mastermind together. Okay. And that's our guest today. That's our guest today. And um, uh, 2023 was my year of change. So I took all of my coaching skills and I up-leveled them. And now I do hypnotherapy, neuro-linguistic programming, timeline therapy, core wound healing, all kinds of unconscious mind programming. Uh, unconscious mind, as I like to explain to people, uh, that's when you leave the store and next thing you know, you're in your driveway and you don't remember how you got there. It's your unconscious mind that does 90%, 95% of everything that you do. Um, I'm ADHD, so I'm always not present. <laughs> you're always not present. <laughs> um, and so it, it was a curiousness of, um, uh, hypnotherapy, which is, uh, you know, something I, I've just learned and, and have become good at. Uh, I had a teacher that said dogs could be hypnotized. And so we tried to get her on the show and she has a super busy schedule. And my mentor said, no, dogs can't be hypnotized. Yes and no. So I'd love to bring Rich on. And depends talk. on who you ask, sounds it like. It depends on who you, and it's it's not quite what you think. So as you get sleepy, oh, sleepy, come on. <laughs> let's bring Rich on and talk about dog <laughs> hypnotherapy. It's fascinating. 
Well, please welcome Rich from Limitless Hypnotherapy and Coaching. Rich, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and congratulations. Uh, you guys are in your fifth season, right? I was scanning yeah. through your list of shows. That's impressive. I, I like what I see. It's fun stuff, good stuff, important stuff. Thank you. Thank we you. we try to do our best and we have just uh, celebrated our hundredth episode. So thank you for that. We're very excited. Wow. And since you're new here, we occasionally will lose equipment because we have frapping corgis in the studio. If we do, We'll be right back. That's right. <laughs> it happens about every other episode, every two, three episodes. We'll, everything will crash. Everybody gets a good laugh. And then we come back and we continue talking because corgis run the town here. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you for joining us. And uh, if you can tell us, if you were to give us a succinct definition, and I think we there are probably some skeptics out there. Can you tell us sort of what is it? If we were going to talk about hypnotherapy and, and dog hypnotherapy, can you just give us a definition? Absolutely. And there will definitely be skeptics as you two were bantering in the beginning about trying to create some controversy. I think we're going to do that today. This is something some people are all on board and they're interested in. There's people who are just going to say it's complete nonsense and bunk, right? But um, dog hypnotherapy is essentially like hypnotherapy for humans. And as um, Catherine was saying that it's, you know, she has a background in it. I've been doing it for years now with humans. And I do have the education and real world experience of working with dogs. So when we're doing it with dogs, it's essentially, it's not exactly the same as doing it for humans, but it's doing the same thing, if that makes sense. And obviously the canine brain is slightly different than the human brain. And everything in, in hypnotherapy for humans is based on human psychology, right? And not that every hypnotherapist out there has a strong background in psychology, but the discipline itself is based in psychology and therefore canine hypnotherapy is based in canine psychology really so we have to approach it differently than we would with the person dogs have far fewer you know fewer excuse me verbal <coughs> excuse me fewer verbal skills than humans do so there's a different approach to it but we're trying to achieve the same goal of getting them into a space where they are receiving information they're receiving the intention of what we're saying and try to make it as specific as possible, a happier, better life. Okay, great. Thank you for that description. So you talked a little bit about sort of how the canine brain is and how the human brain is. And I'm going to go off the rails a little bit. I'm pulling a cat. Ooh. Uh, this question is a little bit layered. We want to ask about what it looks like if you are to hypnotize a human versus hypnotize a dog why that's different how that's different but okay. i i want to ask i want to kind of trail on this question we recently for our 100th episode interviewed um, susan long from queen's best stuffy dog rescue and i loved her description of talking about the dogs she said this is an autistic child this is an autistic human child if you look at it that way your communication will be better because mm -hmm. they can't talk to you so i'm curious about certain if there's mental limitation, is autism autism isn't actually a mental limitation. It's just being neurodivergent. So I'm curious as to how that would relate and if it would be possible. So how's that for a very loaded question for you? That is incredibly loaded. We're starting with the controversy. I know. Up I from minute one, um, that's an actually that's a really interesting perspective. And as you were saying, that I've never heard it put that way, but I agree with it. It's in line with how I see it because 
we measure intelligence in humans, right? There's certain aspects. There's the multiple types of intelligence we look at. Then we start comparing between species, between dogs and humans. And we would generally say that humans are the smartest animal on the planet, right? Although I guess we could say that's questionable at times. But overall, you know, dogs would be considered to have a lower IQ in a sense than humans. And it's due to grain volume, all these things. And a big part of that is they have a smaller prefrontal cortex, right? So they have less executive function, hence the less verbal skills, things like that. And that's one thing is I've worked with a lot of dogs over the years, um, starting with my dogs. When I was when I had some dogs that came from shelters that were troubled, and I grew up around animals a lot, and was fortunate to, to see some really good examples of a few people who are really good at working with animals. And when we're working with and we're talking about dogs today, is the verbal component is so much less, and therefore we have to keep it simple. And I I do like that example of working with an autistic child because the verbal skills are less in most autistic, most types of autism, and therefore we have to keep it simple, right? And I, I know this from having a, a child in my life who has Asperger's syndrome, and they're high functioning, but still on the spectrum. Right. And I've worked with a few other children that were, so it's a matter of just keeping it simple. And from the canine psychology side, I'll be out for a walk, whatever, and I, you know, I love seeing how many people walk their dogs, but we see it all the time where people are just talking to their dogs like they're a human. Like, why are you doing that? Come mm -hmm. back over here. Why do you always go over there? And I'm great with talking to our dogs. We should, but expecting them to understand that, you know, or acting as if they should. And that's just obviously not how dogs work. So the idea of when I'm doing training and not that I, I put myself out there as a professional dog trainer, but when I'm working with dogs or training my dogs or working with friends' dogs, it's that idea of the simple phrases, the simple commands and things like that for the verbal aspect. And therefore for the hypnosis side with animals, I say when, we, when we're working with a human, we can use more words, right? As we kind of keep circling around, but expanding on that now that because in a, for a human to be in hypnosis, essentially it's a relaxed state, right? And that if I asked you both to close your eyes right now and you did within about 10 seconds, you'd be going into what we consider a hypnotic state. Right. But if we remove all that visual stimulation and you figure there's 12 million roughly receptors in the human brain for sensory input and about 10 million of those are dedicated to sight, which is why hypnosis often happens with eyes closed. And once we remove that stimulus, the brain has a lot more play around room, as it were. And essentially hypnosis happens in what we call the right brain. And I know. Doctor, you know, Amy's going <laughs> to probably debate every word of this with me because she's a her PhD in neuroscience. But I'm trying to, you know, keep the, the conversation simple. But it's happening through our right brain and getting to our subconscious. So with dogs, the idea, the biggest piece is getting them to relax, be in a safe environment and feel comfortable and relaxed. And dogs are so sensitive to energy, right, to input, to uh, really energy and like their ability to pick up on things almost seems supernatural to us. That's about 80% of your training success there. I just want to, I'm a trainer, I'm a behavioral trainer. And when I hear that, get them to a relaxed state that you, if you get your dog to that relaxed state, that's your biggest challenge to begin with. You're going to have a lot more success. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. And the training said I've worked with a lot of dogs myself. And that's the, the main thing, right? Is getting them in that comfortable state because when they're comfortable, things are familiar environment, often all these pieces that can make them more relaxed. And then they were open just like humans, right? If somebody's really amped up, you're not getting a lot of input through to them. It's when we're in a more relaxed state, which is why in hypnosis for humans, the idea of the relaxed state is a very, 
important part of the standard hypnosis process. And there's other ways like, you know, Kat mentioned like NLP and some of those things that we don't have to be in that eyes closed state for, we can affect the brain still in a positive way. But for hypnosis, we generally like eyes closed, comfortable environment for that reason that it gets people relaxed. And we, we can play with those ideas more and get their brain to comprehend ideas and their own brain to play with the eyes because as hypnotherapists, we're not putting anything in anybody's brain. We can't make anybody think anything. We can't instill ideas. Uh, it's more like the movie Inception, right? What we can do is we're helping them work through an experience and maybe occasionally putting in some information that their brain can take and say, okay, does this fit? Does this work for me? So with canine hypnosis, how do we do that with dogs? It's that relaxed state. It's tone of voice. I'm sure it's a dog trainer, right? It's tone of voice. It's body language and dogs, we can't ask them to close their eyes. We're not trying to get them to close their eyes necessarily. Although sometimes they will relax enough and get comfortable and cozy up and close their eyes. I so, would be impressed with the verbal cue of close your eyes and your dog close your eyes. I would be very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> all the dog training I've done, I've never been able to make that happen. So I don't know if you can or not, but that would be great. <laughs> so does that answer what we were shooting for on our layered question? Yes. Okay. And, and that's, Going into that, uh, um, how again, I, I didn't, I don't mean to call it a mental challenge, but being on the spectrum, your one's mind works a little different than someone who's neurotypical. Right. So, are there specific challenges to hypnotizing someone who, who has, uh, who is on the spectrum or who is neurodivergent versus neurotypical? There can be, it really depends because that is such a spectrum, it truly is, right? <laughs> From the, the whole range of things, like the the one person in my life, Thosberger syndrome, is very high functioning, right? They can respond to words and things. Their processing is a little bit different where there's people who obviously on that spectrum who process very differently. So it really depends on the individual. When we say if we're talking about a an individual on the spectrum, it depends what their individual skills are, what their capabilities are. Their willingness is always at the core of all of it because, again, we can't make anything happen as hypnotherapists. Right. Uh, so their willingness, their, their desire to be there. Verbal processing. Um, I've, I've known some hypnotherapists who've worked with people on the spectrum very successfully. There's some that almost can't be hypnotized because their brain just is, you know, too too on, as it were, and they can't shut it down. Mm -hmm. The one in my life, I've done some some work with very successfully, I think. But again, that's more high functioning Asperger syndrome than anything else. So mm -hmm. it really depends on the individual. Yeah, that it's interesting to me because I think there could be a whole science with that, like how someone's mind works and how they're going to receive that information to be put in a state. Because uh -huh. with my ADHD, I can hyper-focus. I can't focus on anything. Forget it. I'm all over the place. But uh -huh. if I get into something that interests me, everything else is dead to me except what I'm hyper-focusing on. So to me, that thinks of like a brainwave type state. Absolutely. Right? And and Absolutely. so And so the mentoring program that Rich and I are in, uh, Dr. Amy Rosner, I'm going to do a plug for her now. Uh, it, it just wrote another book and you'll find it fascinating because it is all about, well, how does that happen in different people? Yeah. And she layers, I'm sure. Layers and layers and yeah. layers. <clears throat> and, very individual. And like a lot of people who are artists or creative types tend to be able to, I found, go right in, like close your eyes and they'll you know, and they're in another world, basically another realm where people who are more left brain, like engineers and stuff, it's a different type of hypnosis based on how your individual brain works as, as you get better at hypnosis, you know, begin the mastery of hypnosis. 
uh, does someone, are they, are they more visual? Are they more auditory? Are they more kinesthetic, right? Are they more left-brained? Are they more right-brained? And through some of our intake conversations, where when I've been doing an intake conversation with a client or if I'm working with them over time, I'm always trying to discern these things. And it's the same with dogs, in a sense, because as you know, working with dogs, let's, let's just say it, there's some dogs who are smarter than others. There are dogs who are incredibly smart. There's some who aren't very bright, right? And they have their own gifts and they're wonderful, they're lovable, but some dogs aren't the type... The brightest uh, tools in the shed depends on their breed. You know, are you working with a border collie who might be a little high strung or are you working with a type of dog or breed that's more mellow and things like that? So with working with working with dogs, it's similar to working with people. It's it's very individualized, even though we're looking for the same re common results. Right. And it kind of what you were talking about, about how IQ is measured yes. makes me think maybe we're kind of missing the mark on that, like what a smart dog is, mm -hmm. because we're if we're measuring it to how a person's mind works, that's actually not fair. It's a different species. But moreover, I think that there's it's it's important to note that there is a difference between intelligence, smart and trainability. Absolutely. I agree. Those aren't all the same thing. Yeah. A, a smart dog might pick up on things quickly and be resourceful. A trainable dog is going to be open and receptive. Exactly. And that has nothing to do with intelligence, right? Yeah. yeah. And just like people, I'd say there's, there's so many similarities between even those different in many ways. There's those similarities. There's people who are very smart that, you know, are almost uncoachable. You can't tell them anything. You can't get anything ideas through. There's people who might technically score a, a little bit lower on an IQ test, you know, than the, than the other person and be, have much greater success in life because they're willing to learn and adopt new ideas. So, you know, every, every animal, every creature is, is an individual in a sense. Right. So. Like savants, they can, like savants. yeah, they yeah. can do an entire uh, differential equation in 30 seconds and have the right answer, but they can't care for themselves. That right. kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So, so why do I want to hypnotize my dog? Except for the fact that it'd be fun for me. Why do, why do I want to hypnotize my oh, dog? How Machiavellian of you, Kat. I know, right? <laughs> am I am I teaching him new tricks? Am yeah. I? What are the reasons? Behave? No, what? what are the reasons we would want to do that? The reason that we want to work with our dog with hypnotherapy, for example, is obviously with dogs, we don't have to, we don't need them to quit smoking. We know losing weight is easy. We can reduce their amount of food that we control their food, generally, things like that. Most it doesn't really work for new tricks, right? A, a good trainer is better that with some some very proven training methods for tricks. Most dogs are obviously are capable of picking up tricks. They're they're smart. Most dogs are trainable, and that works very well. Hypnotherapy and other forms of dog therapy, because they am aware of and have used, practiced a couple of others as well, are really for the same thing we've used with people in regards to usually overcoming some sort of trauma. And a lot of times these will be behavioral, people are identifying as behavioral issues, but it's behavior as the result of a traumatic experience. Okay. And it's a lot of the things like fear aggression. It's the, the, the dogs who have a lot of anxiety, the dogs who have, may have depression, right? And we... And it's hard for people to see these things in their dogs sometimes because they just, they're not aware of how dogs are supposed to behave and dogs being individuals, right? Some are more, more energetic, some are less, but a lot of the same behaviors we see and the emotional states we see in humans, we're going to see in dogs. And that's where hypnotherapy, dog hypnotherapy can really come in handy. But also I'll tell you a quick story. And this is one I, I saw secondhand. I wasn't there, but I, I fully trust the source. So I wouldn't be telling a story on your, your podcast. It was years ago. I had a dog who was uh, had a lot of fear aggression, came from a shelter, great dog, loved the family. 
uh, had real problems with it though. And I didn't know nearly as much about working with dogs at the time. So I was struggling with it. And also this dog was an escape artist, flat out Houdini. Like I could not keep this dog contained in the backyard. Like I had to be out there with them. Husky? Gone. Husky? <laughs> no, it was uh, from the shelter. It was a German Shepherd mix of some sort. It almost okay. looked like a German Shepherd, maybe Golden Retriever mix. Uh, visually, I never did the DNA testing back in those days or anything. But yeah, super smart and could jump a seven foot wall standing still. Just just, just like launch over it. It was crazy. But I was trying to, I was reaching out to some people, trying to get ideas on how to resolve this. And it turns out uh, there was a, a friend of mine whose mom was a psychologist. She was a human psychologist. And she had <clears throat> inherited a dog from a friend who had similar issues. The dog was a, was a, a flight risk, right? And would always take off. But this dog would chase, was a car chaser, right? Which is obviously very dangerous and scary because the dog's going to get hit eventually. And so the, my friend had seen her mom working with this dog, but just talking to it, right? Just coming and saying, hey, you know, I can't have you jumping fences because it's really dangerous out there and I don't want you to get hurt. And over the course of talking to it for a few days, this dog stopped jumping the fence and like no training, like wow. no, no barriers of any sort. The dog just like, was like, okay, cool. And stop chasing cars too. Stop trying to be a flight risk. Cause this dog would also run out the door and not just, you know, jump the fence. Every chance this dog got, it would bolt and go chase cars. It was that's what this dog was obsessed with and got it to stop. And again, I, I trust my friend hundred percent to be telling this, reflecting this story accurately as well as it being true. And that's the first time I was like, wow, can you, and I had an uncle, I grew up personally on a, a ranch and had an uncle who worked, was really good at working with livestock, with primarily horses. And they had a lot of some dogs around the ranch and would talk to him in the same manner. And that was my first indication that maybe we can communicate with animals more directly. And even though they're using words, it wasn't just the words. It was the intention and the energy and the, the focus they were putting into the animal. But I've seen, you know, I've seen amazing things done with horses and dogs in those environments from people who have no real training background or or any sort of education in it. So, wow, wow. Yeah. It, it, that was uh, another, and I've worked with dogs on similar things, but that was the one where from young, always stuck in my head. So, when I, in my education course, my formal education to become a hypnotherapist, um, there was, I had a, a class, various classes, but one of them was sort of the, the unusual aspects of hypnotherapy. And an L, L, excuse me, element of this class was working with pets. And in this class, a lot of people were just kind of dismissing it. But I'm like, I've, I've seen some things in my life that make me wonder if how, if it believed that we can get things across to animals like that. And so picking up some techniques and some, some things to do in this class and then having used it, that it's, it's pretty amazing what I, I've seen some things do. Some of some friends of mine who are practitioners also do in, in this regard, working with animals. Yeah. Well, we just, we, I've been sitting here preaching. You can't talk to your dog like a human and expect them to understand, but. Apparently that lady had the magic touch. Yeah, it it it. it um, as you were telling the story, it reminds me of a uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, who mm -hmm. uh, who works with mostly uh, livestock. Right. And um, and she has developed all kinds of uh, um, ways of communicating with the animals to calm them down, to get them to you know to do certain things. So. I guess it is possible. Well, my first corgi was like that. That was Lilo. Lilo. I never had to train him to do anything. Here, buddy, we're going to do this. And he would just do it. And I'm like, wow, you're incredibly intelligent. I'd have a different understanding of it now. But yeah, crazy. And as I was saying earlier, I agree. Like, I, I see people just talking to their dogs. 
it drives me crazy because the dog's not doesn't get it and then the person gets more frustrated right the more ramped up they get the less responsive the dog is going to be and such but these people talking that's the the point i was going for is the way they were talking to the dog even though they were using words it was the energy right it was the i'm going to use the word intention a lot when we actually you know as we get into talking about dog hypnosis because dogs are so capable of picking up on those things so it wasn't just using words and the dogs under, understood it right. was all these little, these kind of subtle elements that delivery, made, delivery, delivery, and these subtle yeah. elements that made that allowed the dog to pick it up and what they were throwing down and like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, so. delivery makes sense. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you can attest to this, that I have clients that'll come in and they'll say, my dog is so neurotic, or they they won't pay attention and they're bouncing all over. The, and I have a conversation with the owner and go, would you like to know where they learned that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's it, again i always compare dogs to little human babies and their parents my kid is so neurotic guess what mom so yeah. are you my dog is so neurotic guess what dad so are you yeah absolutely and i think the important part you know we're talking about hypnosis today and, and similar things but with dogs and similar to babies like you were saying in, in candy like you were talking about guess where they got that from a dog's home environment is so important obviously their primary environment and what they're exposed to because if they don't have that i've had people ask me about working with their dogs before but their home environment was so chaotic of course i'll try to help your dog but if they don't have that safe consistent stable environment at home just like a child that the occasional hypnosis or the occasional intervention isn't going to change that so i always tell people when we're talking about dogs and behavior in general is that it all starts with the home environment, that consistent, stable, safe environment that they have and having structure, right? And and the basic things like, you know, exercise, discipline, affection, as you know, Caesar Milan would say, and in that order. And all those things are so important to give that dog a sense of stability and structure, which kids need as well. And so Catherine's would you're comparing it to a kid was spot on. And I've I've heard it say, you know, compared and yes, it's not a direct comparison when we're talking about the human brain and the canine brain. But essentially, generally speaking, say like a, a really smart barber collie has the IQ of like a three-year-old, right? Yeah. And oftentimes they're making that comparison to dogs based on the age of children. And so the children, the example of raising a child is spot on. Yeah, well, yeah. And if you think of them as toddlers, right. uh, you will probably be more effective in your communication. And those are things to, you have to understand, I tell everyone, what motivates your dog? You have to understand what motivates them. They're going to be more willing to be a partner with you in the activities if you know what motivates them. And, you know, getting to that bonding place to where you understand what that communication looks like. Because to your point, all of the, each dog is different. Yes. And even Corgi's having certain proclivities. My Mortimer, I call him Papi Chulo because he's <laughs> so, he's so laid back. He just, he wants to chill. Like he likes to play. And he'll get excited, but most of the time he's content just to you sit down. He is going to, I think he would slice you up and crawl inside you like a tauntaun if he had the choice, but, <laughs> but he, you know, he will, it's suffo snuggles, right? Like he'll just suffocate you. It doesn't matter if he's puncturing an organ, as long as he is touching your body, he is content. However, sure. my chuckles thinks he's head of security and he needs a job, very high work drive. And, you know, I give him lots of things to do and lots of activities and lots of things. But even when we are not actively working on our activities, he's walking the perim. Yeah. What's, what's going on over here? Are you good? Something happens. He's got to be a part of it. Right. So knowing those things about your dog and how they're what motivates them, I think, is part of that communication process. Absolutely. And <clears throat> excuse me, just like people as well. Right. Just like people that we have to know what motivates them. It's 
animal, breed, personality, you know, things like that. If you're really trying to get a scope of really trying to be an effective pet owner and have this great relationship and rapport with your dog, um, talking about, you were talking about your dog's personalities. The last two dogs that I had two at the same time in my life, they're both Catahoulas. One was a, a larger male, about 75, 80 pounds. The other one was a female. Both came from, one came from a, um, more of a shelter. The other one came from a rescue. Um, the younger, the female, but it's very different personalities. And we'd go to the dog park and the male, he was like the sheriff, right? He wasn't, he was like always just breaking up fights because does a dog park, they'll get tussling, right? And every time they'd start to get kind of chippy and you hear the, the, the site, the energy level go to start aggressive, he would go and just put himself in between them and be like, Hey, everybody cool. You know, fun, fun police, fun police. Well, he didn't mind if you're having fun, but if it started, that's the thing is if it started to get aggressive, you know, if the energy started ramping up, then he'd go get right in the middle. And it was just, but he wouldn't fight. He wasn't looking to be like the toughest dog. He's just to be like, Hey, everybody cool. Well, the Con other one, conflict resolution, conflict resolution dog, right? Negotiator dog. And he, uh, but the other one who came from a very different environment and uh, her personality, she was a very institutionalized. She was very edgy, uh, very like almost like, like a child that came out of like an institutional, you know, been institutionalized for a while. And she was like, she was like the hyper paranoid one. Like you know, everything was a threat. Get back, get back. You know, she'd go to the dog park and she's fine until somebody took her ball. And it was like, like they took her apple in prison or something. Right. And then it, then it was on. And so it was, but I, you know, was able to work with both of those. The, the first one, the older one, that wound up being the, the conflict resolver. Um, he was a lover. He was a little more edgy when he came from the shelter and working with him, got him to where he was just so mellow. Like I said, you couldn't ramp that dog up to a fight. He would have protected the family, I'm sure, if needed in that instance. But other dogs were chipping at him. He'd be like, man, it's cool, man. Namaste. Have a nice day. You know, and then the other one over time, it took a little longer, but working with her, um, she's actually, <laughs> once we heard barking earlier, she is so mellow now that she's become the one that, like you said, the Tauntaun example, she would just crawl inside you if she could. Mm -hmm. so, these, we can change our dog's behavior, even those type of behaviors, if we do the right things. Absolutely. So the hypnosis then is is used yeah. for trauma, much as as you and I use hypnosis on our human clients mm -hmm. uh, for for trauma and trauma reversal and and getting the mind to think differently. In in the case of humans, how does that work in dogs? How many sessions are needed? Uh, you know, how do you, what kind of dogs do you work with and, and how do you determine that it's time for a hypnotherapist for your dog? Great question, Kat. The, so we should get into the nuts and bolts here. As we said, I primarily see the best results working with <clears throat> dogs who have trauma and trauma in dogs I find comes from three major areas, right? So abuse, neglect, or a traumatic incident, being hit by a car, attacked by another dog whatever the case may be. And those are three things that cause all of those fear-based behaviors that we don't like to see. A lot of that withdrawn behavior, they can you know, lead to that anxiety, just, just as in humans. <clears throat> so as we're working with them, the main thing to do is when I'm working with the dog, to give you an example of how it goes, is getting them relaxed. So getting familiar with the dog, first of all, getting to know them, building that rapport, just like with the human, right? right? And obviously it's a little bit different. We, as, as people who work with dogs, we know how to interact with dogs, developing that rapport with them. <clears throat> if they're really skittish, or, you know, if they're really withdrawn, I try to, what I prefer, like, like to do is spend a amount of time, fair amount of time with them. Maybe the first session is me just getting to know the dog and them getting comfortable with me and spending some time with them. <clears throat> I'll always do that to some extent, even if the dog and I, 
I'm one of those people, dogs and kids love me, right? And I love dogs too. Kids, not so much, but, you know, it's nonetheless, but they're always going to be on my lap, drawn to me all over the place. Um, I'll be on hikes and people, dogs will come up to me, pet me, and their owners will be like, wow, that dog doesn't like anybody. I was kind of concerned because they had him off lead. They ran up to you and stuff. I'm like, yeah. no, cool, right? Um, one of the best compliments I ever got in my life from a lady was hiking in Washington. And she, her dog, young woman, her dog ran up to me. She's like, okay, well, he seems to like you. He's like, you must have really great chi. I was like, oh, thank you. You know, that's wonderful. Um, so building that rapport usually happens pretty quickly for me. I'm going to be able to get them into that relaxed state and then really get them calm, get them comfortable and beginning to feel safe in my presence and all the ways that we would do that as trainers or people who work with dogs. And then it's really about, obviously I've talked to the owner. I know as much about the issue as I can. And sometimes the owners don't know what the issue is, especially if the doctor, the dogs come from a shelter or a rescue situation right. and we don't know what caused it. <clears throat> so safety is at the core of it, right? Just like with the human brain. So it's getting them to feel safe and whether it's a behavioral issue, like the jumping the fence, something like that, what I really focus intention, so what I really focus on is holding the intention in my mind of what it is we're working on and what the resolution would be worth a human client cat. We'd, we'd be talking through that with them. Right. With the dog, <clears throat> I will be talking to them because, you know, they can find that soothing and most dogs like people. So they're, but it's not, I'm not focusing on what I'm saying so much as the intention and energy of what I'm saying. I know this is where it's going to start losing some people and create that controversy, but dogs pick it up. We know that as dog people. And that's really the core of, I think one of the, like the psychologist that I was referring to who got her dog jumping the fence, it wasn't saying don't jump the fence. It was the intention in them that she was holding and that calm energy she was presenting as she's done it, as she was doing it. And my uncle talking to horses and dogs and even goats and things, he was I would call him an animal whisperer because he didn't whisper, but he was an animal talker and he would just get him to do whatever he wanted. And he was a great example for me. <clears throat> so, but talking to him about it, as much as we know, and if I don't know what happened, it's really expressing that element of safety that you are safe, you know, if they are, and assuming they are, most people who, who have you work with their dog have a safe environment, right? It's the, yeah. the people who create unsafe environments don't want aren't doing things like this. So, you know, remind them they're in a safe environment, but holding intentions, holding pictures, holding emotions, because dogs pick up on our emotional states so yeah. deep, so quickly, right? And uh, knowing people and having talked to people who do animal mediumship, right? Which I, I'm not claiming to do in any way, shape or form. Right. I think very intuitive and I can get in, in tune with dogs and, and animals and people very quickly. But people who do animal mediumship say the same thing, only they have a much clearer picture. Okay. And they're talking about, oh, the dogs are feeling our emotions. The dogs are literally feeling our emotions. Dogs have more pictures in their mind and things like that. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to hold the imagery in my mind. Oh, okay. We're working on holding whatever imagery is going to fit this situation best. I'm working on holding the emotion and the feelings I want to, to impart to this dog and allow them to pick up on. Right. Wow. And if it's a specific behavior, it might be, you know, like it's when people come up, most, you know, these people are friendly. It's your owner is with you and I'll, you know, their name. And if, if Bobby Joe is with you and this person approaches, you can tell from by Bobby Joe that this person is friendly, that they're safe. And this applies to most people. Most people want to be your friend. You know, most people like dogs and they just want to pet you and say hi. If you don't want that, that's okay. You can make that known. But you know, these safe, back to safe, calming language and around a specific topic. But again, it's imagery, it's emotions, it's thoughts 
and even holding pictures <clears throat> in my head as I'm doing it. And that's the core of it. And there's that's kind of how it looks as an overview, but there's more of an art to it, of course, based on the individual dog and the individual issue. Mm -hmm. But in, in CAD, I'm sure you can see it's very similar to what we do with humans. Yeah. Approach because <clears throat> one thing I, I working with a client, I do the same thing. A human client is I'm getting in touch with where they're at, and it's that energy exchange. The words matter because NLP, right? Word, the way our brain processes words and information matters. Right. But I firmly believe fifty percent or more of a session with someone is that energy exchange, and it's so important as a practitioner that I'm able to keep my energy in the right place, my mind in the right place. So they're picking that vibe up for me because humans we pick that vibe up. And, you know, use that term vibe because it's in a sense that energy is a vibration. Mm -hmm. They're picking it up for me and then doing the same thing with dogs. It's just a little more generalized and I can't, we can't use big words. So. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I like that though. It's uh, like you're a director creating a scene, setting the scene. Very yeah. much. Yeah. Setting and, the and with dogs. Yeah, absolutely. And with the dogs, the, the contact, right? We know dogs are physical creatures, right? And wild dogs and, and wild canines of all sorts touch. They're always rolling around. They're playing with each other. And we know most of our dogs like to be to, to be stroked and petted and, and touched and things. So finding what, what ways look for the dog. We know there's standard ways that work with most dogs. But getting that physical touch element too helps create that, that element of safety and teaching them oftentimes in cases of trauma, it's safe to be touched, right? Especially if they were abused. If we don't know, I often consider they were probably struck at some time by a human, but it's very unlikely. Um, even if it was by an object or by a, a car um, or whatever that hit them, just the idea that touch can be safe, something touching your body can be safe. In neglect, a lot of times, the neglect cases, they haven't been touched very much. Yeah. So again, we want them to understand that it, being touched and interacting physically, that's so much of a way we communicate with our dogs, right? Especially as, as owners and things like that. So we want to pet our dogs. We want to play with them and interact with them very often. So it's that idea that being touched is safe is, is a huge part of it as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure we could keep going, but we don't want to keep you uh, all night, but tell our listener viewer how to get a hold of you. And we'll also share those links in the description box. I appreciate that. It's right now the easiest way to get hold of me is easiest way to get hold of me directly right now is through my email, which is limitlessmindhypno at gmail.com. And I'm sure it'll be in the description box. My I'm taking the holiday season because we're recording this right now during the holidays, and I'm revamping all my it's the new year. It is the new year. It is the new year. Yes, it is the new year. But I've been taking the time recently to revamp my website and such. So I'm sure it'll be in the show description. And that'll be the easiest way to, to contact me is eventually just going to the website link that I'm sure you ladies will post up for. And me. tell tell our listeners what that website is. Well, I don't have a yet because it's currently being rebuilt. Okay. All right. right. Perfect. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your I, time. I have one last question. Yes. Do, do you train uh parents we call them or other hypnotherapists in these methods i have not because there hasn't been a big calling for it and okay. over time the there's a few practitioners that are friends of mine that we've shared ideas that's sort of how i've expanded my knowledge base and gotten, be gotten better at it so we work together um and some of us will work with canines there's about three of us that have Kind of explore this one friend who takes in a lot of rescue dogs and she does it she's done a tremendous job with some wow. things 
So, but yeah, we haven't done any training. And real quick, one last thing that we didn't touch on today that's very similar is this idea of, if you're familiar with EFT, um, often called tapping, tapping works incredibly well with dogs. And once they're comfortable with being touched and Again, it's about the same thing of holding the intention, holding the energy, holding the idea that you want. And they have different um, acupressure points than humans, of course, but I've even seen it work at distance, like for a dog in another state, for example. Hmm. And it's it's pretty, that's a, probably a whole other topic, but it's pretty interesting what we can do therapy-wise for our dogs. So yeah. Eventually, maybe I will spread that out and, and share it and be able to to pass it on to people and, you know, in more of a a structured class-like setting, but right now it's something that, that we're exploring and expanding on our own, kind of developing what, what the pieces are more formally. What the EFT looks like, and, and for those who are not familiar, EFT, emotional freedom technique. So it's the emotion behind the behavior, um, the uh, emotion behind all of that, and it really is. It's just tapping, and it's something that anybody can do for themselves, and there's a lot of information online. So if you want to experiment with your dog and tapping that that's a possibility um getting in touch with rich and experimenting with that but i would get some guidance before you experimented yes. i wouldn't say experiment no, I with wouldn't your say. dog i would say get some guidance but and there's there is a lot on eft so i wouldn't be surprised oh, yes. if there isn't already something on eft and your and your pets great so that's wonderful thank well, you we are at time so yeah. thank you so much for sharing we appreciate you taking your time to educate us today and i hope you have a great rest of your day Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun and I'll be in touch with you all soon. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. Bye. Well, we hope you enjoyed this broadcast. Yeah. We're little, sometimes we deviate a little bit. And so we just ask you to approach with an open mind and hope that you learned some things. We certainly did. Yeah. So, but we will see you next week. Uh, Candy, Cat, Chuckles, Mortimer, Digby, and Booger. We'll see you next week. All things Corgi and Pet Power and Lifestyle. Bye.